What on earth is that? It's a Journey into Comics Network production! All aboard! I brought my pencil! What do you wanna do with your life? Walk on home, boy! Yeah! What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to Rank Em All, the podcast where we go through one band's discography, ranking every single album and song as best we can. Today, as always, I am one of your panelists, Nate. Joining me, the podmaster, the man, the myth, the legend from Game Addicts Podcast and the OGs. For some reason, my brain just slipped for a second. Welcome back, Mr. Brando. How's it going, my friend? It's going pretty good, man. We have arrived. Yeah, we have officially arrived to Master of Puppets. <laughs> this is like one of the um, foundations. If you, I mean, if you want to consider Kill 'Em All a foundation, this thing is a cornerstone of this band. That when you when you think about the history of of any band, you think about like what albums stick out to you the most is like, man, what album defines a band as far as their growth, as far as their songwriting, as far as their presentation. This was a pinnacle album, and I can't wait to dive into it. But we got to get to our other panelists first. Sure. And today, joining us, as always, Overlord of Doom from Brews with Dudes, Dungeons with Dudes, the Doom Room's main man. Welcome back, Mr. Nick Maxson. How you doing, my brother? I'm doing great. I'm excited. Um, I've been pumped to get into this album. It's one of my favorites. Um, I'm excited to just gush on how amazing it is for the next hour. <laughs> I'm, I'm certain that we're probably all going to be doing that. And uh, also joining us yet again, once again, of the big four. We know him and love him from Podcastrophe. Make sure to check him out whenever he decides to put out content on whatever feed he's putting content out on. Welcome back, Mr. Dick Blaine Tyner. How's it going, brother? What is up? I'm highly highly allergic today. It's just, highly allergic? I, I haven't taken allergy medicine for a couple of days, so it's just like all catching up to me. All all this morning i can so. see your eyes are a little puffy and so you sound terrible <laughs> great no i'm i'm super stoked to do this one because this is kind of uh this album is what kind of sparked this whole idea was i was talking to brandon at work and i said you know i want to my i feel like my music taste has changed since i've listened to master of puppets and everybody goes on and on about master of puppets master of puppets it's such a great fucking album and i did not like it when i originally heard it mm-hmm. aside from the actual song master of puppets so um i i told him i was like it'd be really cool to just do like a a review a re-review of master of puppets and then he just his brain just started ticking and just somehow rank them all was born good old brando brain <clears throat> creating on the fly so yeah. I'm, I'm excited to, di- to dive into this because i actually took notes this time Ooh! Oh yeah! All right! Yeah, Master of Puppets is one of my favorite albums. When when Dick pro- approached me with the idea, I'm like, "Well, I love Master of Puppets, but how cool would it be not to not just review an album and just talk about it, but you know, like I see like other channels or other entertainment entities doing like ranked or tiered or something like that, and I'm like, it'd be neat to have something of our own that is." Like that, but with our own spin, and and I feel like hopefully this is going to set the precedent uh, for a a collaborative podcast effort between different panels and hosts and different things, different bands, different artists. Who knows? Maybe it'll even go out into other uh, genres of entertainment eventually. But I just think what 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 better place to start with than with a band that I like hold near and near and dear to my heart with my musical journey and Master of Puppets is definitely among those. I don't know how much you guys know about this album. Uh, Nate, Nate, I sent you that neat little uh, documentary that I found on on YouTube. I'll have to send it to you uh, to the group chat later. And all it is is just a com- a compilation of interviews with the different members and even like their the uh, their producer uh, Fleming Rasmussen. Is that is that is that how you say his name? Rasmussen, yeah, Rasmussen. And it's really neat because they go, they kind of talk about, hey, what was going on before a little bit, and then it goes track by track, and you'll you'll notice a varying like, hey, this you can hear a difference in their tone of voice, like, oh, this interview was done around that time, or this interview was done more modern. But I just like the way that they did it because it really helped paint the picture of the, of the album, and something that they, I wish they would have done because they did like a group, 
I don't know if you want to call it an interview or a podcast when they were doing uh, when they re-released Justice uh, like, like a few years ago. And I wish they would have done it for Master. Master Puppets clocks in at 54 minutes and 47 seconds. It was released on March 3rd, 1986, the year of my Brando. And um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the year I was born. Uh, so, I figured. Oh, well, I was also born uh, five days, uh, literally five days before a very, very tragic accident would happen to this band. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that uh, near the end. There was a single for the album. I, I, I did not know this, actually. It, it, it was Master of Puppets. Uh, but apparently, they were actually going to originally uh, record the album in L.A. They wanted to be a little bit closer to home uh, than they were for Ride the Lightning. Of course, that was over in Denmark, I believe. And, uh, no, yeah, yeah, Copenhagen, Denmark. So, uh, originally, they approached Getty Lee to produce the album. I Whoa. did not know that. And that, but he was unable to do it due to his, you know, whatever was going on in his life and rush or whatever. So uh, they were just like, I don't know, maybe maybe we should try and get Fleming. And they brought Fleming over and they were kind of looking around a space and stuff was booked up. And they, then they figured out that for the same price that they would have to rent uh, a studio in L.A. for like, I think it was like 40 days, they could get like 100 days <laughs> or something like over in Denmark. So... And, and and they already knew the equipment. They already knew the space. They already knew Fleming. So it was like, just uh, like going back home. And then they wrote. Of course, uh, some of the songs were written before, but they went and they finished and they they got this album out. Man, this album was their very was the very first metal album to go platinum. Wow! wow. The very first. That. The very first. This is also according uh, in twenty fifteen. The very first metal album to be considered a, uh, a enough of a treasure to be archived in the National Archives. Whoa! Uh, so, uh, Master of Puppets, uh, as much as maybe other albums from Metallica, gets a lot of a lot of like uh, accolades. Master of Puppets was the album that broke them through, you know, to the other side. If you want to make that, the, 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 the album went six times platinum in the United States. This album, their their tour cycle for the album, they went on tour in support, direct support uh, in, in arenas across the country with Ozzy Osbourne. Right in the smack dab in the middle of the 80s. You can't get bigger than that unless you're the headliner already. You yeah. know? When you're thinking that these guys are still like in their mid-20s, early in the mid-20s, and they're opening for Ozzy Osbourne, blowing them off the stage most nights, they're on the cusp of something great. And that, obviously, whether or not uh, certain things or would have wouldn't happened. I feel like on the next album, uh, you you can definitely see where they're pushing forward with their style of music, and the mainstream is kind of moving towards them as well. They're like they're wanting some of that, you know, like hey, the this is new blood, this is new music, we want you. And of course, they would get that with the next album, and then the next album after that, they would just be it would be a cavalcade, right? It would <laughs> just explode. But it all started technically here with Master of Puppets. Do any of you guys have any other... I, I, I know Dick has mentioned that he didn't really hold this album in high regard for a long time. Oh, uh, uh, just this... I, I love, I've always loved Master of Puppets, the song. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, at the time, I remember it just being like a lot thrashier and I wasn't super into like just hard thrash. Yeah. You know, so... Like, but we've gone through. We've gone through two pretty good thrash albums now yeah. in, their, in their catalog. Uh, Nick, do you have anything to say before we dive into the songs? Uh, just that this was, aside from, uh, I feel like I got a lot of my uh, my first love of them through the radio with all the a lot of that black album stuff. Sure. Um, but when I finally decided to dive into them, I for whatever reason chose to jump to Master of Puppets. Um, so it holds a special place in my heart um, as the first album I felt like I listened to that I really fell in love with them. Master was early on for me as well. I I got Black Album first, and then the next album I got I got two it, like for Christmas I got S and M and Kill 'Em All like two very different <laughs> ends of the spectrum. But then total opposites. <laughs> yeah, number four, number four was Master of Puppets. I got that one next, and and I I already knew Battery Master of Puppets and, and and the thing that should not be. 
So I'd, so I'd almost heard half the album already, but it was just something about it. There was something about the tone. There, somehow they were able to change their tone just enough. You, you can still tell it's Metallica, like from Ride the Lightning, but it has just a different tone, and they have a different attack. What we, what, what I mentioned in the Kill 'Em All uh, episode was that I felt like there was a lack of tenacity a lack of them just like in it playing it It sounded like they were playing the songs they were in the studio they were still pretty nervous now they're not nervous and they're trying to capture what they do on stage in the song when they're recording that's hard to do especially when you're sitting there with headphones on and you're at your instrument and you're trying to play like you play on stage and there's nobody in front of you there's just a dude behind a microphone (laughs) says you messed up that note back there let's rewind that let's do it again you know to keep that same energy going is difficult, but Nate, yes, sir. Uh, going to you right before we get into the tracks here. Is there anything that you've got to say about Master Puppets before we dive in? Man, I mean, everybody's kind of said a lot of my thoughts. It was a very special album to me as well early on in my love of this band. Uh, but really, this is the album that, over anything they had ever done, made me really understand and want to be more like Cliff Burton in my playing and uh we'll be talking about that throughout the different you know moments that shine on this album but all in all man this this thing is uh very special this is one i was obviously waiting to get to like you guys um it's early on in their discography and i feel like we kind of have a mountain to climb now because of where this kind of sets the bar and it's not (laughs) a bad thing it's not a bad thing at all it's just it's kind of the fact so, uh, yeah, I think if you guys want to, we could probably just get right into the songs, uh, mm-hmm. starting off with track one, which was Battery. Battery was written by James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. It's the opening track of the album. And I'm going to start specifically with Dick, because he has told me before, he does not like the song. And I want to hear oh. what he thinks Ooh. now. <laughs> Sticks. Um, this is how so, we're starting. <laughs> it's, still, it's still not a favorite. It's still not a favorite, but I will say I do uh, my notes. This I'm reading from my notes right now. It's still not a favorite, but I do have a new respect for it. Uh, just simply because, like, I liked how we were talking about like their growth as musicians, as uh, players in this metal world, and uh, that I noticed the epic intro, and it kind of gave me a sense of this. Uh, hey, we're fucking Metallica, and this is our new fucking album. We're coming at you right now. And then, so it's got that epic intro, and then immediately hits into goes into the main riff. But uh, I really enjoyed how seamless James's vocals and uh, songwriting structure. It was it just so seamless from part to part, from verse to chorus, from verse to chorus, and because uh, it, it just goes right into the battery chorus. And I was like, wow, I didn't even realize like there wasn't a build up to it, just right into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did like that. So I, I do have a new respect for the song. Still not a favorite. It's a six. You got to so you're giving it a six. Yeah. Six. What? Six. <laughs> I don't like it. Six. Oh, boy. Nick, let, let's go to you next. <laughs> um, what What are some of your thoughts about battery? All right. Um, my first note on it was that it's it's one of my favorite intros to an album ever. Definitely one of their best intros, but any album I've ever listened to. Just the the cool intro, the way it builds up, and then when that that riff comes in, it's so fast and so hard, and you just got the full sense. You're like, oh, they're they're starting off another album, kind of acoustically. Like, oh, this is cool, and then they smack you with that riff, and you're just you are ready for the ride immediately. Um, one of the most memorable, uh, the verses and the choruses, like all the lyrics, the way he's the way he's spitting it off. Uh, he just. It, it's a great song, great solo. Um, you ever forget the riff? I give it a 9.25, one of my 9. favorites. 9.25 from the Nixter. Nate, man, what do you Whoa. got for me? Uh, let's let's consult the notes here. Uh, I'm going to kind of paraphrase a little bit because Nick really nailed a lot of it. The Spanish guitar intro into the heavier metal vibe definitely sets the pace for this album. I think that's uh, uh, something we can't shy away from. It's so stark. It gives you that like fight fire with fire vibe, mm-hmm. but different. But totally different. You know? it, well, I mean, it is better. I mean, not that not to say that Five Fire of Fire is a bad song. It just seemed like they took that exact that they thought about that exact same formula and they're like, how can we do this again but improve upon it? Yes, and absolutely. I feel like that's what they did here. 
Uh, I love the thrashy verses. The more serious themes, again, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's funny because lyrically, James is very clever in how he can kind of make everything a double entendre. Yeah. And this song really sounds like, oh, my God, talking about domestic violence. Spoiler alert. Not at all. No, it, not <laughs> at all. It really has nothing to do with it, which is great. It's like it's about, such a beautiful swerve. It's an homage to Battery Street where they like where they grew up and, yeah. you know, out there fighting to be, you know, fighting to be relevant, I, you know. You cannot feel the family, you know. We are family. It's like all the bands that were around the Bay Area, you know, like like all the thrash bands. We are family, you know. We are Battery. Yes, uh, I, I have a misheard lyric I want to talk to you guys about. <laughs> all right, I have always and always, even when I re-listened, I was like, do I need to double check the fucking lyrics? Because why are they dropping this guy's name in this song? I always hear Hungry Bob Seeger feeding <laughs> off the weaker. <laughs> <laughs> Hungry Bob Seeger beating up. Hungry Bob Seeger. It's there, dude. I'm telling you. I know it's hungry. Not, I'm never gonna not hear that now. Anytime I hear it. Wow. <laughs> oh, I've just changed Actual battery. Cannibal Bob Seeger. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love misheard lyrics. Uh, <laughs> um. To just finish out my little bit of notes, Kirk Solo is raging in this song. Jesus Christ. He is just like, um, can I push this thing to 12? And if we do, are we going to see some serious shit? The answer is yes. Now, I want to say that their outro in this song really has a kill them all vibe. Almost like they went, what's our style that we, we penned back in the day? But how can we, again, approve upon it? But not looking at Ride the Lightning, but looking all the way back at Kill 'em All and saying, like, this is where our roots are. We got to still have that a little bit. And that outro really, really, in, in my opinion, um, throws it out. I'm giving this song an 8.75. I love it. It's so good. So, well, well what's already been said about the intro, uh, about how, the buildup, and, and, I, and I agree. You know, like, you have Fight Fire with Fire. And, and, like in a sense, hit the lights has like a little build up too, as like as like the fader, you know, the like the the uh, the inconsistent fader. Like, they definitely got better with their fader control. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they got fire, fire, fire with the uh, the build up, battery build up, blackened build up, Sandman build up. Spoilers. Just saying, <laughs> there's a theme here. We don't really have that after that for a while, so. Enjoy but, it while you got it, damn it. But what <laughs> what I really think of as far as the intro is the uh the ecstasy of gold. Uh in homage right now as we record this, uh composer um Ennio Maracone. Is is that, is that how you say his name? I think he's the yeah. guy that, you know, he was a composer for, for Ecstasy of Gold and for like a, a lot of those spaghetti westerns, especially like the uh um uh, the man with no name. Yeah, the man with no name trilogy. So uh, he passed away, and they've used the Ecstasy of Gold as as an intro for for their set since the beginning. Yeah, I don't know when it started, but it has it was early, early on. So too much to the point for S and M. Spoiler alert: S and M. The the symphony plays it, and it's amazing. And then Metallica re- recorded a cover of it. In the early to, mid to the, where literally James is just going, whoa, 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 and like, yeah, okay. And that's what he does anyway. Like, like backstage when it, like when he's all jumping around, getting hyped up, he's, he's singing along with the song. I felt like this is their attempt to replicate that. Like just the build yes. up, the, how the, how the XCO gold builds up over the course of that movement. They were trying to replicate that in a way, maybe not, Intentionally, but it definitely sounds like it because I get those. I get that vibe from here. I give Battery a nine. I absolutely love Battery. Battery is, you know, as we go through and we look at the intros for these albums. In my opinion, Battery is the best one so far. Agreed, hundred percent. It is that it is their best first showing. Like as a fan, if you were just buying this album the day it came out. This is the one you're going to be like, everything else before was good, but what the fuck did they get on before they mm-hmm. wrote this? Because, wow, they're on a different planet with what they're thinking about. Off next to the title track. Track two, Master of Puppets. 
has a writing credit from all four members of Metallica, Cliff, Kirk, James, and Lars. Clocks in at 8 minutes and 35 seconds. This song just recently won the Metallica poll on their Facebook that they were doing over the course of like two weeks where they took the highest played songs off of Spotify, put them in a bracket. It was like 32 songs. And Master of Puppets won all the votes. Wow. In, in the end, it was between Master of Puppets and one. And that's uh, the hell match it. Damn. But here we are, Master of Puppets. We're going to start with Nick this time. What do you got for me for the song Master of Puppets? Um, I, uh, I'll just come out the gate. I'm giving this one a 10. It is on a scale of, on a scale of Metallica. Um, I, I, you know, you got to think like, does it get better? And, um, to me, it doesn't get much better than master of puppets. Um, you're coming off of, off of battery and you're, you're getting your ass kicked, um, the entire time. And then just from the very first, you know, the first note hits in master of puppets and you're, and you're off to the tracks. You just know it. You're like, Oh man, I'm about to get my ass kicked again. Um, <laughs> the, the vocals, the vocals are amazing. Um, uh, the the solos in the middle, um, everything about it, that the crazy laugh he does at the very end, um, it's it's perfect <laughs> masterpiece. Master of Puppets is so I'm giving it a perfect ten. Master of Puppets takes you on a ride. Uh, yeah, you know, with something that they have been working on as far as like their their middle interludes. The, like making the song an experience much less I'm like yeah you have your patterns but like verse chorus verse chorus but but instead of just giving that to you on like a palette they throw something in the middle that's completely different and that's a James Hetfield solo that was one of his first actual solos that that he did and it's amazing and yeah as, as I've said uh penmanship artistic you know their artistic view of where they were going what they've learned and the influence of Cliff Burton is felt in this song tremendously. There's Absolutely. layers and layers of stuff. Harmonies. The overall song structure itself. Cliff Burton has gone on record as saying that the song Master of Puppets is his favorite song that they had done up to that point. Simply because it had everything. It, it, it yeah, had everything. You know? And I, I absolutely agree with him. The solo, the solo in this song Ooh. at the end features a mess up. Kirk, really? Kirk Hammett, the very last note of the solo, he slipped off the fretboard and made like a 30 second fret <laughs> right before the pickup. <laughs> and they could, and it sounded cool. <laughs> it, it's a blatant mess up, but it sounds like it fits. So they never fixed it, and he's never <laughs> been able to replicate it. It was just a mess up, and it. The next time you listen to Master Puppets, when it gets to the last solo, da 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 da, and at the very last note, it's a very high note. That like, wow, how did he get that? That's because he messed up. <laughs> and it sounds, yeah, it, it's amazing. Everything has coalesced into this song. I give this song a ten. Nate, what do you got? All right, ultra memorable intro that instantly hits. You kind of nailed that on the head. Uh, honestly, one thing that we didn't talk about yet is Lars shining as the backbone of this song with so many tempo changes, so much mood change within the song. He keeps it like linear. I don't want to say linear, but that's the best way I can describe it. Uh, again, lyrically, this song is matured and relatable. You're, you're, you could be a slave to anything. Yeah, it, a lot of people think it's a song about cocaine. I don't necessarily think so. I think this might actually be more inspired by watching other bands destroy themselves while on tour, mm -hmm. in various fashions, not just with drugs, but with women and yeah. with chop the your fast breakfast lifestyle. on a mirror. You know, you see see cocaine, you're seeing like shooting, you know, heroin. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, you're and seeing what the I loved dark about side that, of, of music. What I loved about that documentary is that James likened it to where like you can actually make it to where like you know people are a slave to the. Slave to the media, slave to TV, slave to our phones. You know, in a way, it's like we are the puppets of our own society. And it's, 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 it's weird how you can take something that was written way back then about a certain thing, but still kind of correlate the meaning into other things. Absolutely. 
to finish up my notes on this, uh, the interlude is epic and so emotional, just like leading into the dual guitar leads, which uh, is amazing, obviously. But when the solo hit, like I was in the zone listening headphones on in my own space, I just, like teared up like hard. It just choked me out because it just took me all the way back to like being 16 and hearing that song and just feeling what I felt then and being like, there is still that version of me that I think I said this on maybe one other of the episodes we did that lives deep in here. And I'm really reconnecting by listening to these albums in this way. Uh, the outro lead is haunting. And I actually wrote the ha ha's Nick. You said the, the <laughs>, laughs at the end. I it's, literally in my, in my notes have ha I love it so much. It sounds so evil. He sounds just fuck like he's lost it. It's, it's so good. Now, before we get to Dick, I do have a quick story about Master of Puppets that doesn't involve Metallica, but involves my own journey uh, in a little two-part thing. One, it's the last song Draxus ever played live, Brando. I don't know if you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, one time I saw Paul Diano, uh, the original lead singer of Iron Maiden, yeah. Yeah. at some show in Tilton, Illinois. Yep. And a band called Soul Descenders went on before him. And they're like, all right, we got one song left want us to do an original or a cover and the crowd's like do something we know you know so they're like okay if any of you know the song join us come on stage and sing along and as soon as they hit the dunt i jumped on stage and i was now their lead singer and we tore that fucking shit down so much so people thought it was planned that i was a member of their band that we (laughs) planned it that i was just in the crowd the whole night just waiting for master of puppets to come out and do this like star it was the weirdest shit but it was so much fun uh, i'll i will never forget that master puppets for me is a 9.75 not that it isn't a perfect 10 just in my listen through i didn't want to give that the 10 yet i wasn't certain it was yeah dick what do you think uh i don't i honestly don't know how you don't give this song a 10 this <laughs> is the metallica song this <laughs> almost got a perfect score I mean, this this is the, the I mean, among like maybe two or three other songs that are Metallica, this is one of them. And uh, I just I, it's it's hard talking about this song because you guys have all said it so eloquently. And I I didn't put notes for this song because like this is the song that I know off of this album. <laughs> um, so it's just. It's it's so perfect. It, it it hits you in every way that it needs to hit you, and it, it's fast. It has those those interlude parts, and like I'll never forget uh, being at Eastside Nine at the time, theater watching the Big Four performance on the big screen, and this song coming on, and then it gets to that middle interlude part. That's that that really soulful solo, and just hearing the entire crowd just sing over it. And it was just it, so memorable. And then, of course, I heard like one person that I knew over everybody, and that was his name is Corey Parks, because like him and all the rest of the Narrow House guys were all up front. Austin Smith, um, Kyle Cry, Bray Carlisle, Corey Parks, and then uh, their roadie Gooch Sutton, good old Gooch. Uh, and they were all up there just having the fucking time of their lives. We we got there late, so we were in the very back. But, uh, yeah, Master of Fucking Puppets. And it, it's so cool, all the build-ups that, song's ha- that song has. Yes. So The build-up out of the middle, like, bridge part, back into yep. that little slow haunting. Yeah. It just gets you amped up to get back into, the like, the heaviness of the song later on. No. Yeah. Like, I agree absolutely with you, Dick. And, you know, since you didn't, since you went last on that one, uh, you gave that one a ten. I, I, I'm just assuming, just yeah. by the way you said that. You, okay, give that a ten. That was almost the yeah. most perfect score that we could have. There's only one guy that messed that up, and that was Nate. That so far. I'll change my score not, if you guys want me it to. Is, but... It is in stone. <laughs> like, we have ranked it. It, it has, has been ranked. It don't been ranked. But I will say that as of right now, it is the highest averaged song that we have done by far. Oh yeah, sweet. Uh, 
Deck, I'll let you go next on the or first on, on the next song. The thing that should not be a bit of a different departure from what we've heard so far. This song kind of slows it down a little bit, but it's vibey. It's not a ballad. It's vibey. I'm gonna give this a seven and a half. Uh, my notes only say chunky and different. It is different, isn't it? It's chunky. super chunky. It's chunky. Chunky. <laughs> and that, it provides that's all one I- of the slow head bangs, you know, where you just want to like fucking. You're not where you're breaking your neck necessarily, but you got you got you're <laughs> and, along. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and like you said, Brandon, it's just super vibey. It's very atmospheric. Mm-hmm. And uh, those. And honestly, like, to be fair, this is kind of the first time they've really ever done this, maybe except for Call of Cthulhu, and th- that kind of had to be atmospheric. Honestly, it's probably, and also, this song is a sort of sequel to Call of Cthulhu. I was just getting ready to say it. It is in the Lovecraft it. world. It is uh, heavily inspired by Cliff's interest in that, and he got James into that as well. They would also write another song years and decades later that would also be a sequel in in terms of, like, what like not name of the song, but in theme, dream no more on hardwired. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can feel like sure. they they almost tried to capture that same vibe a little bit, but the, uh, but dream no more almost has like a load or reload aspects to me. But not jumping too far forward. No, uh, I'll I'll just go next. I think the thing that should not be is an awesome song. It is different, slower. It, it, whereas, like for whom the bell tolls was a you know had a straight up punch. As I said, this song is vibey as hell. I give it an eight out of ten. This was the last song written for the album. Um, they had seven songs and they were like kind of one short. And then so this song was completely written in the studio. And wow, was yeah. So kind of cool little tid uh, tidbit there. Nate, we'll go ahead and shoot it over to you. What do your magical notes say about the thing that should not be? They're not as Big as I expected for this song. First of all, I just want to mention my They're notes not, are short for this one. For for, for as um, magical as this world uh, as the world is that this song is about, these notes are not as magical about the song. <laughs> yeah, I literally just wrote groovy, heavy. Yeah. It's got so much punch. The drums are obviously very essential to this song and how it is atmospheric and delivered. Uh, but it's very straightforward. However. I really, really love this song. I've always grooved this song. I always turn it up extra loud when it's on. So it gets a nine for me. Nine. That's 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 all I got. Last but not least, Nick, what you got? Um, I give it an eight. Um, I just uh, the, the few things I said about it is I really like the uh, the vocal performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like uh, the super sick guitar solo. Um, you got a sick guitar solo, you're gonna win points with me every single time. Um. And then, especially after riding the high off of Master of uh, Master of Puppets, you know, I'm still in a great mood. And kind of like Nate said, like it's not very often after a, a big badass song like that do I turn it up, but I do turn it up for for the thing that should not be. So I gave it an eight too. Awesome, awesome. So the next song, actually, I didn't say um, the thing that should not be has writing credits from Lars, James, and Kirk, and the same three apply for Welcome Home Sanitarium. Now, Welcome Home Sanitarium, I'll go first on this one. I feel like they also capture a vibe here, especially for the early part of the song, which is really neat considering that you have two songs in a row that almost fit a vibe. You know, what like trying to capture the feeling of what you're going for in the song in the song. The song is heavily inspired by One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Jack Nicholson. If you guys have ever seen that movie, it, I, I do recommend it. Very good movie. And... Um, it is a song about being the only sane guy in, like, in the sane asylum, and nobody believes you. <laughs> so it's like, it, it's very scary, you know, like, what, like, that would be terrible. Like, you're just sitting there, like, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, I just wanted a Pepsi. <laughs> they're like, no. Mom would give me this Pepsi. <laughs> no, you're clearly not. You're like, yeah. <laughs> then, of course, the more you get angry. I actually... This kind of surprised me. I teetered on my rating a bit because I gave this song a 10. I gave this song a 10. Knowing that up until the last album, I hadn't even given a 10 
The first 10 was for creeping. The, the next 10 was for master. I, I almost knew master was going to get a 10, even before I re-listened to it. I'm like, yeah, this song's going to get a 10. When I re-listened to this, I was like, this is like a 9. And then I'm like, I don't know, though, because I'm comparing it to Fade to Black. Fade to Black was, is really good. And I didn't give it a 10. I gave it a 9. But when I'm thinking about them capturing the mood, the, the, the jam part at the end is just thrashy. This song actually has a dedicated chorus that you can sing along with. Unlike Fade to Black, it's just a heavy guitar. Not that that's a bad thing, but it just adds to the element here. You know, it has a buildup, heaviness, goes back down with that, 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 I guess, first solo. with The first solo coming out of the first chorus where it's like not going nuts yet. It's just very melodic. You're like, God, that gave me goosebumps. Even when I'm, even now when I'm thinking about it. So it, it kind of surprised me when I'm like, no, I think this is a 10. I think this is a freaking 10 because I feel like they nailed their whole, you know, let's try to do a ballad type thing by making it a very disturbed ballad instead of like, Oh, uh, I'm having suicidal thoughts or stuff in my life or like, oh man, I don't know, I'm not sure if I'm gonna be able to pull through it like Fade to Black. Sanitarium's a dark song. And so I'm like, I give it a 10. Well, I'll shoot it over to, to, to Nate next and see what he's got. <clears throat> okay, so haunting and very different intro, much mm-hmm. like what Brandon said. The first solo is utter brilliance. Yep. It's so moving and captivating. Cliff laying a mighty foundation in this song while letting the guitars shine. It's it's really this album is where he finds the way to do that, where he can shine in his own right, but he lays such a mighty foundation that the guitars <clears throat> can really pop and make a statement. Uh, he's getting better, can't you tell? That's in my notes just because I fucking love that line. Like I always just like scream that in my head. Heavy and fast groove. This song absolutely has it all, and for that reason, it does also get a ten. Cool, damn. And this is actually now I can say it. This is why Puppets didn't get a ten because I knew in my head Sanitarium was, and mm. not that Puppets isn't that. They're just two different things in my head. All right, Nick, we'll go to you next. What do you got for me with Sanitarium? Uh, I gave it a nine. Um, it's always been one of my favorite tracks. Um, yeah, you guys really kind of, kind of nailed it. I love that they, that the moment from the very beginning, the eerie intro, you can tell like, Oh, this one's going to be a little different. Um, I love that we're all specifically pointing out that first solo after that Mm. chorus because it was so good. Um, but yeah, yeah. I love the, I love the, the darker, creepier songs. Uh, so this one gets a nine from me. Awesome. All right, Dick. What you got? I'm gonna give it an eight. Okay. Uh, I realize I, I think that's still a pretty good score for being the lowest of all of us. Um, no, no. I mean, the, the, this song's amazing. So yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's an eight, definitely at least. But it depends I mean, on it's, your. It's a personal. great song. I love this song. Uh, it it hits me in the feels in the right ways. Um, however, I do think that the chorus has some of like James's like weakest vocals. Like it doesn't really punch through as a chorus. Uh, it, it, he, he could soar. He could just like really belt it out there. And he, he he's kind of subdued, I think. But I, unless that's just the mood of the song that they were going for, but. He is subdued. <laughs> he's in a, he has that been is the, subdued. That, the yes, yes, that makes sense. <laughs> No man, I this song is amazing. As I said, I teetered. My my gut was nine. This is a nine. And then for some reason, I was just like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I think it, it teeters. Needs, it deserves it, love. Yeah, it does. Uh, the next song is probably the heaviest song and the most intense forearm workout on the entire album. If you're a guitar <laughs> player, if you've ever tried to learn these riffs and play along with the song. You're 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 gonna be hurting for certain afterwards. Disposable heroes. We'll start when we'll start with Nick on this one. Uh, I I love this song, especially um, uh, the chorus. Um, it's one of those that you always have to scream out loud with them. Back um, to the front. The, the blistering guitar solo is just sick. Um, 
the the vocal chant right after uh the solo um just total banger total banger what i give it uh 8.5 8.5 for disposable heroes all right, right. cool we'll we'll go ahead and hit dick next what like what do you think about disposable heroes so uh without the obvious of master of puppets being my favorite i would say this song is my favorite song on the album uh i love the rhythmic beginning uh it's just the right amount of thrash it's super heavy it's lyrically dark i love the whole the whole theme of uh you're gonna do what i say back to the front back to the front lines you if i tell you to die you're gonna die Mm -hmm. you're dying for this you're dying for me uh i it's and then uh let's see the guitar tone (laughs) the guitar tone on this song is just out of this world i love it just sounds so mean so evil and it just adds to the heaviness of it i love it so did i rate it no i don't know if you said i'm teetering between a 10 and a nine and a half goodness make a decision let's just go with 10 wow awesome go all in showing the love for disposable heroes nate what you got all right uh kirk really coming into his own on this song like you're really finding him creating pockets of sound that are like, oh, that's uniquely Kirk making, that's his riff, that's his idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the chug riff is so infectious at the very beginning. If you're not immediately just like fucking ready to just, just jam your head off, you're crazy. I love the dual duality. It's not a war theme song. It seems like it's a war theme song. Uh, very clever it's very well done and actually a little bit of a spoiler for what we'll talk about too in justice part of this song is something i actually lyrically stole for a report i did in high school and i'll talk about that when we get the justice more but i yeah but anyways um i love this song you know uh the breakdown is one of the best lars is being insanely intricate if you're listening to just how he's placing one tiny bell of the ride in this specific spot that just is a little sprinkle of fairy dust. That's exactly what the moment needs. The solos are so smoking fast. It's incredible. And of course, I was born for dying. Nine five. Awesome. Nine five. I gave this song a nine. I think it's amazing. As I said about the guitar playing, some of these riffs are so fast, and if you know James, he only basically down picks everything. So I guess just like I just just imagine trying to record that and be that tight. Like man, he probably just went Kirk. You do it. <laughs> he might have. He might have. Wow. I'll figure it out once we get live, bro. I'll have it practiced enough by then. Um, the beginning of the song, it almost feels like a march, like they're marching into like to a battle, like like. A musical march. Uh, I didn't mention the writing credits, uh, James Lars and Kirk again. Um, in fact, I do believe there's only two songs that Kirk doesn't even have. No, three songs that Kirk doesn't have a writing credit on on this album. He really brought it on this album. In fact, in that little documentary, they actually played a little clip of like Kirk's riff tape. The and the and you heard the da 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 they found a way to mesh that into whatever James is doing, and they made it an awesome, relentless song. This song is relentless; it doesn't stop. Yeah, there is no middle interlude. There, like, there's no middle in like, 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 let's slow this down, let's get cerebral. No, this song is relentless, just like war can be. And again, and again, it it, it kind of shows uh, like James kind of anti-war stance as far as like his mentality of like the ridiculousness of sending people to die while you know? actually being a football. That's where, that's song. where he heard it. Yeah. He, he heard it watching the Raiders. He uh, like Howard Cosell. These men are disposable heroes <laughs> going out on the gridiron. And so he started thinking about like these old timey football players mm-hmm. who, you know, were giving their lives essentially for this sport that doesn't give a fuck about them. And they just get, you know, sent to the grinder after their careers are done. It's very clever how he can lyrically mesh two ideas to have one actual very brilliant theme. 
this song is also the inspiration for the album cover with the endless white crosses. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. The, you know, they are the, they are the disposable heroes that we sent off to die in the invasion of Normandy or world war two or whatever. Right. You know, you guys are the grunts, uh, to go fight for the cause. And then of course they tie in with the puppet strings, uh, for the name of the album. So awesome song. Awesome. Awesome song up next leper Messiah. A little bit of a slower jam here. Uh, Nate, why don't you go first on this one? One, two, three. I love the Lars counting, you guys. It, it just makes me giggle because they kept it. Like, they didn't have to keep Lars counting it in, but for some reason they were like, you know what? I fucking dig it. I, I like hearing his voice count that in, and I've always loved that about that song. Like, it's a little bit different for me. Uh, heavy and angular with subtle Mustaine riffing. They're not stealing from Mustaine, per se, but where he influenced this band in the early days, again, coming back with how they're putting some of these riffs together when they're writing. Mustaine actually uh, contends that this song does contain one of his riffs, and he wants writing credit for it. In fact, if you go back onto the Kill 'Em All Collector's Edition that they released, the big box set when they did the re-release, there's like some demo tracks and riff, just jam tapes, and there's one of Dave's that kind of sounds like a riff in this song. Not exactly like you said, just interesting. He didn't yeah, get writing it's, credit it's, for it. I believe only James and Lars did. Yeah, James and Lars. Yeah. Uh, this song is simple, but very much a jam. The interlude kicks it up a notch and really makes the song for me there coming to the end of the tune. Uh, it is an eight. It is, probably, I think, my lowest rated on the album, but it is still a very, very awesome song that I do love. Okay. Bow to Leper Messiah. Dick, man, what you got for Leper Messiah? Give it a seven and a half. Um... It, it's 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 got a cool, nice, chonky beat, you know. It's like, bam, 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 bam. Like it's it's cool. It's a jammy song. Like uh, this is the at this point in my listen through, this is the song that kind of made it that hit it home to me that this wasn't necessarily like a giant like super thrashy album. It was more. It was a lot heavier of an album, mm-hmm. which is the opposite of what I thought back in the day. So I mean, despite not liking the song nearly as much as some of the others, uh, it's 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 cool. It's a cool song. Awesome, Nick. Uh, I give it a seven point two five. Um, don't really have a whole lot to say about it. Yeah, it's a catchy song. Uh, doesn't necessarily uh, jump out to me. Um, may, if, if it's if it's an, on an unlucky day, it might get skipped on a playthrough. Um, but yeah, yeah, I like it. It's not a bad song. Yeah. 7.25 is what I'll give it. I also gave it an 8. It's, you know, When I think about tracks that are like on the lower echelon, I kind of think of this one as well. And and this one and, and Thing That Should Not Be are probably like down there. Uh, but it's kind of crazy when, when when I'm looking at my own rankings and seeing like the lowest rank that I have is 8. Uh, this is a pretty damn good album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, the album was inspired by late night televangelists. Um, James wouldn't be able to not sleep and he would go like try to chill on the couch and maybe fall asleep on the couch and all the only thing that would be on TV would be these televangelists t- t- telling, him, telling him to repent and send me some money and and that song is that is heavily inspired also the the, the song title Le- Leper Messiah came from Ziggy Stardust ooh um, they uh, I believe him and Kirk were jamming or maybe Cliff put it on and they it was right in there the the, uh, something that David Bowie had said. Yeah, the lyric is like a leper messiah. Like a leper messiah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I gave the song an eight as well. Uh, it, it's not one of my highest played songs like on the album. If, if I'm going through and I'm in the mood for it, I'll listen to it. Uh, primarily, I, I really like the riff um, during the chorus with the little slides like wow some reason that riff always like I, I dig it but to get there it's like I'm not, I'm not always in the mood for it but the next song is Orion instrumental uh, the third technical in- instrumental the second in a row of big gigantic instrumentals from Metallica this song is essentially Cliff Burton's baby um, as far as like on a writing level a lot of it was, was a lot of his ideas a lot of the har- harmonies it has writing credits for Cliff, uh, James, and Lars. It clocks in. This is the second longest song on the album at 8 minutes and 27 seconds. For a, for a song that has no words to it whatsoever, 
I'm going to lay the foundation here. I believe this is the best instrumental that they've ever done. I believe this song is able to somehow tell a story. It's yeah. <laughs> it it tells a story without words and and that story can mean something different for everybody who listens to it. That's the interpretive power of music. You know, wh- wherever you are in your life when you hear this song, somehow the little like just like how Master Puppets takes you on a journey, this song takes you on a journey. And there's d- little different harmonies and intricacies that are everywhere. I gave this song a 10 because I think this song absolutely deserves a 10. Um, Nick, we'll go to you next. Uh, what do you think about Orion? Uh, I also gave it a 10. It is my favorite instrumental. Um, how, uh, how do you even describe it? It's just, I think it's very well written. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it takes you on, on a ride. Um, I love when Cliff really shines in the middle. Um, when it kind of breaks down a little bit, that's one of my favorite parts. Uh, the riff that they drive into it, the you know after the build up in the beginning, it's it's all good. It's it's uh it's one of my favorites that they've ever done. Dick, what you got? Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, nine. Uh, it's a really cool instrumental. Um, like Nick just said, the little break, the bass breakdown, awesome. It takes you on a journey. Um, a lot of effects. <laughs> so the first time I ever heard this song, I didn't realize that this was an instrumental. I real because I, I was playing Guitar Hero Metallica, and so I'm playing it. And I'm playing. It, and I'm like, when are the vocals gonna come in? And then, and then there's like three minutes of no guitar. I'm just sitting there like, it's like this is easily the easiest gu- like Guitar Hero Metallica song. <laughs> the best part of that interlude is with that with with, with him just laying that little smooth somber mm-hmm. like thing and just the. Kirk and James come in with the dual guitar wailing they wail it so when I heard that upon my re-listen when I learned when I when I re-listened to that part it made me think of a Pantera song and I'm like did Dimebag fucking rip off Metallica here It's a hell of a song to rip off, too, man. I mean, I can't, you know. I remember what song it was, but. Well, you know, uh, Kirk Hammett himself says the best musicians, they don't borrow, they steal. Uh, Yeah. So, (laughs) um, no, man. Nate, what do you got for me, bud? Okay, 100% masterpiece. I mean, easiest thing to say is it is an absolute masterpiece. Uh, When the riff hits you you're just absolutely hooked when you're just in it, you know? I got chills. The okay, guitar. I'm, I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I had a part in the song I was thinking of. And I got oh, chills. sure. <clears throat> no worries. No worries. <laughs> uh, the guitar solos are a perfect building block mm-hmm. to drop the ball to Cliff. They're building this momentum, this momentum, this momentum. Atmospherically, it blows apart. And then you just get this very almost, and really looking at this in a, in a, in a more accurate since Dick says Pantera, this is screaming Rime of the Ancient Mariner by Iron Maiden. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, and heavily, heavily influenced Cliff, I'm certain. Um, this song and the guitar solos when they come in wailing is the biggest atmosphere this band has in their entire catalog. They cannot emotionally, atmospherically pungently i don't know what other way to fucking say it hit you other than how they're hitting you in those moments uh and and the thing that i think makes it is it's four individual voices in music you've got a drum sound two guitar sounds and a bass sound that are speaking and at points they are all saying different things on top of each other but it is so beautifully layered the harmonies everything it's a 10 if you didn't know dick's the one that fucked up the perfect score this time <laughs> I could have guessed he wouldn't have picked the instrumental. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not big on instrumental songs, but I mean, Metallica's got him. They've oh, got yeah. him. They've got him in the bag. So before we move on, I want to shed light. I just want to get the spotlight on the on this moment because I was waiting for somebody else to mention it, and no one has. So you so you have the interlude with the dual guitars, and then and then it kind of comes out of it a little heavier, and Kirk's solo after that interlude. Wow. <laughs> 
about you gonna bow to bow? goes <laughs> no, fucking no, mad. No, oh, not, yeah. no, not that one. The one oh, before no. that. It's oh. the... It's like oh yes, and then after that is is the, is a bass solo from Cliff the yeah oh my god that gets my dick hard every fucking time I hear that because that is just Cliff hitting that fucking distortion pedal on his fucking thing and he gets a quick. Seven second diddle to shine on his fucking song. Motherfucker was and, supposed to hit a double and cranked a fucking grand slam. And most people don't know that that's a bass solo. They just think it's another like a leather guitar playing on playing on like a lower scale. But instead, he's up there on that bass, hammering on, pulling, and like doing shit on a bass that you just don't do. And that's what makes the song stand out. Like, like. It, you know, Cl- you know, Cliff himself said, "Oh no, Master of Puppets is my favorite song. I just think it's got everything." Uh, this song also has everything except for the vocals. And <laughs> if it had vocals, maybe it would have got a, a perfect score. The perfect score has eluded us, and I'm wondering when that song will be. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the next one. Damage Incorporated is the last song on the album. All four <laughs> current members have writing credit <laughs> with, with James, Lars, Cliff, and Kirk. Uh, clocking in at five minutes and thirty-two seconds, the shortest song. Oh no, it's not. It's the second shortest song. Battery's shortest song. Uh, wow. Yeah, I know, right? It doesn't really seem like it would be, but <laughs> but battery or uh, no, Damage Incorporated has a has a a bass intro, a fade in. That's that's the bass intro. Him doing this weird little like uh, ambiance, distorted wah wow. Just, just Cliff doing his Cliff shit. It is pretty cool. It is. It cool. is pretty cool. It, it, it is. It, it definitely is cool because then it comes in and is honestly probably the most thrash song on the entire album. Is Damage Incorporated. Damage Incorporated. Um, Dick, we'll start with you this time. What do you got for Damage Incorporated? I have no notes for it. Uh, seven and a half. I didn't really think too much of the song. It's just to me, it's just another filler song. It's like Leper Messiah. It's like. Uh, uh, the thing that should not be. It's just a, it's a filler song to me. What? <laughs> well, all right, let's go to Nick next. Nick, Nick take an exception <laughs> yeah. to this. I'm taking exception this. to him referring to the thing that should not be involved with, with forgettable. That's what I was taking exception to because I, I do kind of agree. Uh, it's not. It's it's one of the more forgettable tracks. One of the more. It's uh, one of the only. Um, uh, it didn't really stick out to me. I specifically don't like him the way he says "damage incorporated" in the chorus. Oh, I know the whisper. I don't. I don't like it. it. I don't know why, but it bugs the fuck out of me. So I gave it a seven. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Nate? I don't know why that one part bugs me so much, but <laughs> it, it bugs me too, dude. <laughs> Uh, I think that the unique fade-in is great. It's a heavy and militant beat, which I love, Lars, given that like militant beat. It really sets the pace. Yeah, and but then uh, you said it, Brando. This is breakneck thrash. Like, they are, okay, um, essentially this is like Dyer's Eve light. You know, we aren't going to get there yet, but they're, they're setting this pace of like, the last song should be our absolute fastest effort, and we should just try to kill people at the very end. <laughs> uh, blood will follow blood one of my favorite lines the interlude led by the guitarist fast while pulling back before they unleash this uh monstrous solo trade-off which i really love between kirk and uh and james but the song ultimately is just uh it, it is a middle of the pack road for me and again i give it an eight uh, it's it's uh, leper messiah territory for sure i also gave the song an eight um it, it's the most thrash song on the album besides battery and maybe disposable heroes. Um, there's a really cool riff in this song. It's the da 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 da. We chew and spit you out. Yes. I like that. I like that part of the song. You know, that, that, that song is really cool. But I, it, but you guys have kind of said it. It compared to everything else that has already come before it, it does kind of seem a little forgettable. And it's it's heavy. It, it, it like it's a good book into the album. Like I yeah. Like, if if this song had come before this, and maybe maybe you close with like Orion, I'm not sure if it would have been nearly as good, 
Because you started with battery, you're like, yeah, all right, we're going. And then we hit with damage yeah, at the end. It's like, all right, we're done. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like... Ride like, over. Yeah, ride over. <laughs> and uh, so, no, I gave it a 10. Or, no, I'm sorry. I did not give Whoa, it a 10. I'm sorry. Holy shit. I, I, I saw the number before that. I'm sorry. Eight, eight. Anyway... So, Perfect score. <laughs> it was forgettable. Here's this perfect score. <laughs> That's it's set in stone. You got to put it. That's so, it. Uh, my Ow. my average my my average album rating is a nine, flat nine. Uh, Nate, yours is a nine point one two. Dick eight point five. Nick eight point six. With an average master album score of 8.8 which is the highest so far that we've gotten of course as I said the highest rated song on the album for us was Master of Puppets at 9.9 and the second one coming in was Orion at 9.7 both both Sanitarium and Disposable Heroes have a tie that's our first straight up tie on an album at 9.25 so very very well high regarded amongst the entire panel here was Master of Puppets um just to review, uh, Kill 'Em All got a seven point five. Uh, Ride the Lightning got an eight point four. Master Puppets, Oof. Master Puppets, eight point eight. So, hey, ma- so we are going to barrel forward to and justice for all on the next episode. I cannot wait to see how that turns out because I can just tell you from my perspective, it's a little bit more varied than it was on this album. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting to see where things stack up there. Of course, I also want to just, you know, this was Cliff's last album before he died. I, he died on September 27th, 1986. I was born on September 22nd. So just five days before Cliff died, unfortunately, uh, I was born. And it, it, it's really weird. I've always had like this weird vibe with Cliff, like with my own personal, like personal, like just thoughts and uh, how he kind of perceives shit. It's like it, it, it's it's pretty chill and laid back, and I kind of feel like I have the same thing. I'm not sure. If, I, I'm not sure where that goes. I'm just saying, like I've always felt really weirdly connected, connected. to Cliff, and sure. like, like 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 in a like in a weird way. But um, yeah, unfortunately, he would die tragically, and um, he was only 24. You know, that so sucks. Just, just think about the stuff that that he brought to the table, like on especially on the. On the first, on like on, on on these first albums here, what and what he could have brought like musically as the band. If matured. he would have matured as an adult, yeah, holy as shit! As the band matured and as he and as he matured, what would the albums would have sounded like? You know, mm-hmm. as I said in the last episode, he was a really big REM fan. So, <laughs> so who knows what the Black Album would have sounded like with Clerk with with, with or I mean with Cliff's influence? It would have it could have been you know even better, which is kind of hard to say, but. um yeah, eventually they would replace uh, re- replace that spot with uh, Jason Newstead coming into the band. Uh, and I didn't know this. He actually wasn't offered the job on the spot. He he auditioned and got the got a temporary spot. And because because Cliff died in September, and they were back on the road by the end of October. Whoa! And they were yeah yeah yeah. It was like we need to go to Japan. <laughs> like well, I mean, because they had to cancel some dates over in Europe because of the because of the accident, and the next leg was they, you know they're supposed to go to Japan, so they got a new basis. They were drunk the entire time, you know. They never really gave them time time to grieve. And the and like the crazy thing is, is that if you've watched the some kind of monster documentary, they kind of relive some of that when they kind of like come forward and say we never really dealt with it. We just kind of kept moving as a machine. And maybe we took out, took that out on the new guy. Jason would actually get, end up getting a, a, an official spot in the band in March. But quite so. So think about this though. Jason was brought into the band, and they As continued. A six month temporary. Yeah, yeah. They just kind of wanted to see if he could hang, right? Um, but like, they finished the Master of Puppets tour with Jason. Like we don't when because like, when we think of Jason and Cliff, we think of oh, Cliff was Master of Puppets, Jason, you know, Justice, whatever. You know, the, uh, like like the lack of base, but no, he was there. He was on the <laughs> stage with all those crosses, dude. Kick, you know, kicking ass, playing these Metallica songs that because he, you know, he adored the band. So I'm excited to see where we go with it with for uh, with injustice for all. But uh, Nate, since you since you introed the podcast, why don't you bring us home? 
Well, I've got final thoughts. I don't know if you guys do about the album. Last things needed to be said. I think this album is a perfect balance of groove, thrash, heaviness, and it is an absolute epic. I mean, they bring all styles of their uh, their best in this album. The Metallicats set an almost impossible, and I said this at the very beginning, standard in the metal world. Truly timeless, this album will stand forever. If mankind falls, there will still be Master of Puppets. Well, especially uh, now that it has been uh, put into uh, the National Archive. The yeah. National Archive. But I also wanted to state really, really, really fast uh, that 86 was a very interesting year for thrash metal. Because there's another, because there, there were two other albums that came out in 1986. So, Master Puppets was released in March, right? Sure. Released in September 19, 1986. Peace Sells But Who's Buying by Megadeth. Wow. Released October 7th. David's returned. <laughs> yeah. Released October 7th, 1986. Rain and Blood by Slayer comes out. Damn. 86 had the magic... Whatever yeah. it was about that year, shit. And then and Cliff that, was unfortunately eighty sixth. Ooh. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. On that note, you guys can check out this show, rank them all on uh, the Journey into Comics Network YouTube, the podcast tree feed. Maybe someday on the Journey into Comics Network feed, we'll see where we go with this. Rank them all is going to be all over the place, folks. Mm-hmm. So you're going to find us where you find us. Make sure to tune in. Uh, get us on Apple Music, Podbean, Spotify, Castbox. Tune in, as I said, and many others. Uh, and we will see you guys next time. Did anybody else have any final thoughts before we roll? I'm good over here. Oh, Dick has. Dick. I'm really glad we we did this because this this gave Master of Puppets a new life for a new life for me. That's good. Uh, and I have a, I have a great respect for this album now, and I I love it. That's yes. awesome. That's awesome to hear. Especially with disposable heroes, like holy fuck, why did I not know about that song? <laughs> a badass song. God damn, I love the song. Awesome. All right, folks. Well, until like next time, this has been Rank 'Em All. I've been Nate. That's Brando. been Brando. Dick. Nick. <laughs> I, I like I how he. I'm not sure what we're doing here. Ah, we don't know what we're doing either. We're just riffing <laughs> the outro. We'll see you guys. Later on Rank Them All. Later. Yeet, yeet.